With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Adam Spinella is in the building. It's our weekly Sunday show where we break down all of the things that are happening basically across basketball, because once college basketball gets into this, we're going to start talking about prospects. As the NBA continues, we're going to talk about the NBA, and we're going to do a little bit of a breakdown of a variety of things today, including the Lakers 0-3 start now following a loss to the Portland Trail Blazers, as well as we're going to talk about first impressions of the rookie class that we've seen thus far in the NBA. Finally, uh, we're going to do a quick little segment every week now on, uh, maybe multiple times a week, to be honest, given how crazy this race to the bottom in the NBA could be. It's going to be called Tank Watch, watching some of the teams near the bottom of the league. Spins, what's going on, buddy? Hey, Sam. Good to be here. Always good to see you. Uh, the Jets are 5-2. and two. I am happy about that. <laughs> Brees Hall hurt his knee. I am not happy about that, but... Uh, basketball season in full swing. If I'm ever getting a second to relax, to sit down and actually watch some stuff on my laptop or watch some TV, it's good that there's live, real, like current content to be able to go through. It's it's just great, man. I'm I'm so happy. Well, it was great because last night I got a chance to watch India Pakistan in cricket. It was a game in Melbourne. The T20 World Cup is happening. For people who don't know, it's basically like. 20 overs it's it's like a baseball game sort of except cricket obviously so the numbers will be like 160 runs each um it, it was insane it looked like the coolest atmosphere i desperately tried to get tickets to go to this india pakistan game but like 90,000 seats at the melbourne cricket ground here uh in the city sold out in a matter of like 15 minutes or something insane and i couldn't get tickets on the resale market so i just watched at home and it ended up being the craziest game I think I've ever seen. Virat Kohli was a superhuman. It was amazing. I love, I've like jumped into cricket since moving to Australia. It's the best. It's super fun. Uh, it's, it's like baseball, but almost weirdly more dramatic at times. Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah, that's a good sell there. And, and I know we were talking about it a little bit before, like the, the comeback in that game, somewhat yeah. reminiscent to me of like Duke, North Carolina from, what is that a decade ago now? The Austin yeah, Rivers, Rivers game. game you said, yeah, yeah, something about that where Duke was down the whole time, then all of a sudden came charging back and finally takes the lead at a buzzer beater right there. Just a legendary, legendary yeah. game and shot. Um, so sounds like it was an awesome yeah. event. Yeah, basically, it was exactly that. It was this insane comeback. Like, imagine a team being down by 15 with like eight minutes left in the game. And then, you know, a, a guy just takes them on a superhuman run and scores like 17 points in the final six minutes of the game and then just completely balls out at the end and they get a buzzer beater uh, from. I don't even know. Like, I guess, you know, Ravi Ashwin is not a role player. He's like one of the best spin bowlers ever, but he's certainly not a batter. It, it'd be like the defensive player of the year uh, 
hitting a buzzer beating three or something like that uh, at the end uh, that you expect, but like almost don't expect kind of Uh, crazy, crazy game. I really enjoyed it, but we're here to talk about basketball. And if we're here to talk about basketball, unfortunately we have to be here to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers at the moment because they are 0 three. I've talked about the first two games on a recent show with Cole Huff And today, you know, probably an hour before we're starting this podcast, they played the Portland Trailblazers in what was a really fun game. I watched it while I was at the gym and it was a a strange, strange game where, you know, Portland got out to a lead early. The Lakers really built momentum in the third quarter. And then at the end, we got what might be the defining moment of the Russell Westbrook era uh, in Los Angeles, unfortunately, where trying to get a two for one with, you know, he gets a rebound with 32 seconds left, I would say, runs down the court, takes his patented, you know, 16 foot mid range jumper with 28 seconds left on the shot clock or 20, 28 seconds left in the game. They're down one. And it just, I know what he was trying to do. He was trying to get a two for one. And was trying to maybe, you know, give the Lakers an extra possession late. But unfortunately, it just didn't work. And he bricked the shot. LeBron did not look too pleased on the opposite side of the floor. And the Lakers are now 0-3. I haven't asked you yet what your initial impressions of the Lakers are this season. But before I kind of get into my spiel, I'll just kind of give you the floor. What, What do you think of the Lakers right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think today's game with Portland was somewhat uh, indicative of kind of my overall opinion of them, whether it was last year, but certainly bleeding over to this year with a lot more tension building between their three stars. They just seem very fragmented, that every player is kind of out there going through their own uh, kind of motions a little bit and not playing off of each other or helping. Each of the three stars don't make the other two better in a lot of different ways. LeBron James has an ability to make everyone around him better, but not in the same standpoint that he would if they were three-point shooters and knockdown guys who embrace certain roles. Um, Anthony Davis doesn't look the same to me. He just looks not quite right. I don't really know what to say about that. Uh, So for what it's worth on that front, he did kind of injure – I don't know if it was a knee or what exactly he did in the game against – what was it? It was the Clippers on – Thursday, it seemed like he kind of came down funky and might still be feeling like the ill effects of that. Maybe, Um, you know, not, not a serious injury. And I feel like he's kind of gutting it out because the Lakers desperately need to win a game here to start the year. Um, But yeah, I, I agree that today he looked just a little bit off, but even when he's off, like, he's still so incredibly impactful. Like mm-hmm. this team's defense is really good. Yeah. Like, let's just kind of say what it is. They were terrible in the first game against Golden State. And it's because Golden State gets you into rotation so much that it's just really, really hard to guard them. And that's obvious, right? For, you know, Steph, Draymond reasons, Clay Thompson, obviously. They space the floor super well and they get you into rotation. And for a team that has a lot of new pieces, that's just going to be a bitch to guard yeah. at the end of the day, right? Um but the last two games against the Clippers and the Blazers, where it's a little bit more ISO heavy, 
a little bit more, uh, you know, we're, we're going to come down, we're going to have one ball screen, and then we're going to try and, you know, maybe hit a kick out and create a shot that way. Damian Lillard was obviously phenomenal today in the previous game. There's a lot of guys for the Clippers kind of stepping up throughout the course of the game. I, I don't think this team is that bad defensively. That, that's my overarching takeaway still. I don't think this team is that far away from being pretty good, actually. You know, I, I think it's, you're, you're right there in, in a lot of different ways. They're built to be a good defensive team. And I, I think a lot of that comes from kind of the size, the rebounding that they tend to have across every single position. And they're a decently veteran group. I mean, they're younger than they were last year, but certainly still more veteran heavy. It's just it, the vibes are off. And I've never been a huge vibes guy. But just watching the way that Russell Westbrook interacts with everybody else around there is yeah. just it's it's tough to watch. And, you know, regardless of what their rotations are, how their ability is to guard one V one, you see in these late game situations like we had today with Portland, when everybody is kind of going for themselves and it's kind of a your turn, my turn approach or the worry of how am I going to figure out a way to get to my spots and play my type of game that unravels in the final two minutes of close games. It just does. And, you know, LeBron James has built brilliance for himself by always making the right basketball play. That in late game situations early in his career, he was chastised for passing up shots over double teams and just swinging it to the open guy when he's just making the right play for his team. And now I don't think that there's enough infrastructure around him to reward making those right plays, nor are there other guys who really feed into that every single time. So it's just a little bit discouraging to see the offensive end of the floor for their start of the year. Yeah. I honestly wonder if it would make sense to send Russ home at this point. Um, I don't mean any disrespect to Russell Westbrook's career. I think people who listen to the show and have listened to me for years understand that I actually really respect what Russ has done throughout the course of his career. It's just not a fit here. Like it's just really not a fit. Like you said, the vibes seem off that reaction from LeBron at the end of the game just kind of seemed like yeah. a guy that was just like, man, what are we doing here? Yeah. Like what, what, I think that like the basketball side of LeBron's brain absolutely understands the idea of getting a two for one in that situation. And he was just like, man, like what, what is, what is Russ doing? Like he's not shooting well. He hasn't shot well the whole year And like Russell Westbrook comes off as this incredibly confident human being, but like, he's not this bad of a shooter. Like he's a bad shooter. Don't get me wrong. Like he he is he is not known for his shooting, let's say. Russell Westbrook is not like a let's go 4 for 15 on all twos today three-point shooter. He's not a you know guy that shoots 0 for 11 from the field against the Clippers. And just like frankly I wonder if it gets to everyone, right? Like we kind of saw it last year get to Russell a little bit where he kind of stated the idea of like, Hey, like, you know, this weighs on my family. Like my family sees when you call me West brick and things like that. And it's not disrespect to say that, like, it it just doesn't seem like Russ looks confident out there in the same, he, he portrays that level of aggression and that passion for the game. And that's just who he is as a player, right? Like he's always going to be that guy, but 
you got to wonder, like, when he goes up for shots, like, is he feeling that level of, I think before, during Russ's career, he's always felt like he's the best guy on the court. Right. I wonder if that is still there. And if that isn't there, is it having an adverse effect on his shooting? Because he's not this guy. Like, let's just, he's, he is not like, you know, four for his last 36 from the field or whatever the hell he is now. Right. Um, I feel like I I feel for Russ a little bit, but it's not working. And I wonder if it's just kind of time to end this. Well, well, he's always been the hardest worker, Russell Westbrook, and he gains his confidence, not just from his ability as elite athleticism, but working hard and doing the same thing over and over and over again is what breeds confidence. But when you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, and it's not working and it's not succeeding and that same work ethic that you put in isn't bearing out results, where does your confidence really come from? You know, I always say that in order to age gracefully in the NBA, you need to be able to be a good jump shooter. And that's just not something that Westbrook has added to his game with the same type of urgency. Uh, Again, it's not that he's this putrid shooter as he's kind of showing right now, but the catch and shoot ability, the willingness to stretch his game to three and play more of an off ball role that's how guys tend to age gracefully. And what we're seeing right now is just kind of the the building up of all of the frustration that goes into the process of trying to play his game the way he always has and seeing it's not necessarily working. You know, it, the, the Lakers just, they don't have enough three-point shooting to surround all of that to make it work yeah. on the offensive end of the floor. And we've seen it, like Matt Ryan and, has and gotten a little bit of run. it's isn't it? Like, it, it's contagious, right? Yeah. Like. This team knows it's not the best shooting team, but knows that it has to take threes because the NBA is just a math game, right? Like at this point, um, if a team takes 25 more threes than you in a game, it's just really hard to overcome that even if they shoot 30% on them. Right. it's just tough because they're even if they shoot 30% on those extra 25 threes, that's like an extra, what is it? Like eight points or something like that. Seven points. Uh, It's just hard. It's hard to overcome seven or eight points of a deficit just based off of math in a game, let alone, um, you know, anything else. So it it just is a situation where you have to take these threes, but it, it just becomes so difficult to overcome i'll be honest i think this team is like worth shaking up i I think this team is like actually worth continuing down this road anthony davis even though he like doesn't look like 100 percent right now which is a concern because it's anthony davis and you know i think again it just goes back to that you know little thing that he suffered in the clippers game um and like if he took a couple of games off probably would probably be okay um, that that doesn't come from me as a doctor. That's just like a total guess. Um, he's playing really well defensively. The Lakers as a whole with Anthony Davis, the Patrick Beverly minutes, um, LeBron James looks fairly engaged defensively, I think. Like this team is good defensively. Austin Reeves is like a smart defender. Uh, yeah. Juan Toscano Anderson is like great. a useful, yeah, useful guy to have out there. I think this team is actually genuinely worth shaking up, not something that they should like just throw in the towel and like move off of. Right. Like they shouldn't, they shouldn't be like, Oh yeah, let's just wait until the off season. 
This team is good defensively, and you can find shooters on the market. The Indiana Pacers are sitting there. They're an absolute like train wreck defensively and are not going anywhere with Buddy Heald uh, this year. There are other shooters out there that I'm sure you could find. I think that this team is really just like shooting away from being pretty okay. Like not just being pretty okay, but like you look at the West right now and you know, this is so fucking early in the season, right? So like take all of this with a grain of salt, but the Clippers look like they're going to, you know, kind of breeze through the regular season a little bit. Right. Um, You know, trying to get guys like Kawhi Leonard and John wall, some blows here and there where they can. Um, the Pelicans look amazing. The Blazers look a little bit better than what people thought. Uh, the Nuggets, I think, are probably going to be really good. The Grizzlies, I think, are going to be really good. Uh, Dallas's defense has been not particularly awesome, in my view, and they're going to have to figure out how to defend with Christian Wood because they can't keep Christian Wood uh, off the court right. at this point. Yep. He's too good offensively. Their offense is running way too well with him on the court. Yep. Um, the Timberwolves have looked kind of messy. I think in yeah. their two games, uh, I think that's going to take some time. I agree. So the Lakers are in this position where they have an actual chance to make the playoffs. I think like not just the play in, like they could, if they make a move and LeBron James and Anthony Davis stay healthy throughout the year, based off of what we've seen, they're really just shooting away. And if you can move Russell Westbrook for guys who can shoot and guys who can space the floor and play intelligent basketball around LeBron and Anthony Davis, I actually kind of think this team has a shot based off of what we've seen. It's just that right now they can't overcome the math problem of not being able to shoot even a little bit. Right. And and in those moments, like Matt Ryan is the one kind of specialty shooter that they have on this roster. And right. in any time that he plays minutes, you can see their defense starts to tank a little bit because he's got such a bullseye on his chest for opposing yeah. teams to hone in on. So they've got to be able to find the right balance for a lot of that. The, the fear with anytime you have a shooter that's got a bullseye on their chest is, you know, they play a little bit smaller on the defensive end when they put AD at the five, if you had a truer, you know, bigger rim protector, somebody plodding back there, that was you know, maybe like a Miles Turner, wink, wink, uh, that would do a lot to try to cover up some of the weaknesses that one of those shooters might have. But I, I agree with you. Like this, not all hope is lost. It's 0-3. The vibes are off. There's something going on with Westbrook and, and Davis that doesn't have them looking like they're, I don't want to say buying in, but just not playing very confidently. And I think that both some small roster tweaks and finding a way to address that situation can really get them back on track. Okay. Let's, uh, let's jump into the rookies because yeah. that's the whole reason that we wanted to podcast today was about the rookies. Let's take one quick commercial break here and just get that out of the way. And then we'll jump in and talk about uh, Paulo Bancaro to start, I think. Okay, we're back. The rookie class has been really fun. Yeah. It's been so fun, hasn't it? They're really good and and polished in a lot of different ways. I think every year there's one or two guys who get drafted outside of the lottery that step up right away and kind of earn your attention, but what's what's gravitated towards me thus far is how good kind of the top of this class has been. Like the top 7 
all in some regard, you know, look pretty good. Obviously, no Chet Holmgren right now. Jabari Smith has some acclimation period to go through in the NBA, but he can shoot the damn ball, and that's going to earn him minutes right away. Everybody looks good in that top group. So I'm I'm really pleased with the early returns thus far. Yeah, I agree. And let's start with Paulo. Paulo obviously got a lot of accolades in that first game after I think he went for 27, 9, and 5. Right. Um, since then, he's been just like a little bit inefficient, but that's what we kind of come to expect. The thing that's important to note with Paulo he's getting wherever the fuck he wants. Yes. Like he is getting literally wherever he wants at any point during a game when he goes and tries to create his own shot. The shot is not like falling at a significant level. And I do think that there is a bit of an issue that he will work through as he goes from being a teenager to being like 22, probably let alone 25, 26 is he plays in the NBA longer. The the shot math on his contested mid-range jumper heavy diet is going to be something he has to kind of work through, I think. Uh, It is hard to be efficient taking some of the kind of shots that he takes, but just the way that he's able to get to his spots, the way that he's able to bully through while also having that skill level. That's the thing, right? Like he is able to have that intersection of tight handle for a big strength, being 6'11", being able to shoot over the top of people, and then being able to fluidly get into his pull-up game. It's a very, very difficult needle to thread for opposing defenses in trying to stop him. And he's a good passer on top of that. You know, the the one thing for me – and watching a lot of his Duke film, like for as big and strong and kind of wide-shouldered as he is, he was a guy that used the spin move a lot. He'd start in one direction, see a guy starting to cut him off, and he'd kind of use his shoulder, a little bit of contact, to try to spin around that. Already early in his NBA career, he's just lowering his shoulder and going straight into dude's chests. And like, yes, Paolo, you're, you're huge. You're built like a tank yeah. you can handle, and you can take that contact, do it. That's going to serve him well to become a really, really good playoff type of scorer. Somebody who gets to the free throw line, and that's how you correct some of those inefficiencies with the style of play in, in the game that you have. Um, you know, nitpicky wise, like I'll just give one thing that stood out to me about him on the offensive end to really watch. He seems to ball beg a little bit, or have a, a really, um, a really you know, free reign within their offense to walk himself down to the elbows and the free throw line and just mismatch post up whenever he wants. And you can see there's a normal flow and and pace to NBA action where all of these veterans know how to play and cut and move off of each other, pick their spots for when to cut, when to post up and when to do everything. And Paolo doesn't quite have that feel yet. A lot of what he's doing is just feeling like, okay, I want the ball now. This is the spot for me to to really get to a one-on-one type of move. And he walks to the elbow and stands there and plays physically. And again, part of that is going to contribute to yeah. the, you know, the lack of efficiency that he has in those mid-range areas because I think he's forcing his touches a little bit. But this is the role that he's going to have to play long-term. So I'd rather him try to figure all this stuff out as a rookie than, let's say, you know, put him more of an off-ball role. Paolo, stop going to the elbow. Like, no, we got to teach you how to pick your spots, not to not do yeah. it anymore. 
Well, and I think the thing that stands out most to me is the physical strength. Like you kind of just yeah. brought up the idea. I'm not sure I can remember a rookie that stepped in this quickly and was just able to play bully ball like this. Like he just bullies his opponents to the spot. Like he is physically stronger than whoever he is up against. Typically at the four Orlando has played him mostly with bigs at this point. Honestly, I can't really remember off the top of my head a moment where he has played the five. Um, Maybe like, don't, don't quote me on that. Like it's possible. I just missed, you know, a couple of moments here or there, but he has mostly played with fours uh, throughout his career at this point, his three game career, um, two or three games. I think I've watched two. I don't know if they've played a third. Um, it's it's going to be intriguing to see how Orlando utilizes that strength. Uh, the Magic in general are just a really fun watch because of that um, front court, as we yes. kind of anticipated them being. Um, Wendell Carter is just kind of the perfect guy for to play next to Paulo on some level because he's a little bit un he's mostly unselfish. I think he's unselfish to yeah. a fault, to be honest, at times, and then. On top of it, like he can shoot a little bit. Teams don't really respect him out there, but he has a chance to really shoot it and gain that respect. I think I believe in him as a shooter. Sometimes it seems like more than Wendell Carter believes in Wendell Carter as a shooter because he just like kind of passes up open shots a little yeah. bit more often than I'd like to see. Um, and I, I don't think that's a like Jamal Mosley decision. I think that's just given what we've seen from Wendell Carter, like. I think he just needs to be willing to be a bit more assertive. Um, Franz Wagner has looked as good as what we anticipated. Just a perfect guy to put next to Paulo. That is the most fun front court of the future in the NBA, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I don't even really think it's that close. Um, the and, guards. And, yes, Jalen Suggs, nice. just, he needs right. to be able to figure out how to pick his spots, obviously staying healthy and not turning ankles left and right. But uh, it, there's positive encouragement that I've seen for his shot. I mean, he had that one takeover quarter against the Pistons where he just looked really solid and fluid. There's there's something there. And as Orlando continues to explore what it is and how to build a roster around all their young guys, they're going to maximize everybody. So there's going to be times when it's Suggs on the floor with a more pick-and-roll oriented big and some shooters. There are going to be times when it's Paolo's to eat and they rest Franz for a little bit. There's going to be times when Franz is just yours to go cook and, and all the different actions that they have to try to inculcate all three. But thus far early on, like, all three guys, particularly Paolo and Franz, look like they're going to be just awesome players in the long term. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, the Kings are 0-2. But Keegan Murray uh, has played one game, one game out of that. He missed the first game. He scored 19 points in that first game. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. really fun. It was just really, really fun. Um, did everything that you expect Keegan Murray to do as a 22-year-old rookie stepping in was just so solid and steady, and his pace, it, it just stands out so much. He's so under control. He plays with such bend. He leverages his opponents in the same way he did at Iowa uh, in the NBA. He plays the three, and he's just kind of in sometimes the four, I guess, but like mostly the three. And he's just able to kind of bend and get underneath those guys and move uh, and get into those little mid-range spots. And he made a shot late in the game uh, that he played where he like kind of caught the ball in the corner, got real low, took 
two strong left-handed dribbles and then got to like the mid range and took a, just, just a quick little step back at the free throw line. And it was just like, Oh man, he just is so, he's so calm. Like this is the fourth quarter of his first NBA game. He's playing, you know, in a tight game here and he's just ready to go against the Clippers. He, he looks really good, really, really good. And it's more so the fact that, he doesn't have many holes in his game, and he plays a style that's conducive to just again, making the right play. I know it's something I talk about a lot as a, as a coach, but if you can just go out there, take what the defense gives you, and you're versatile enough to impact the game in multiple different ways, you're going to be a positive player in the NBA. And he's solid on the defensive end of the floor. The shot looks great. That's the one thing yeah. that's catching my eye. Like The shot looks really good, really smooth. He's confident in it. And I love his ability to play off Demonis Sabonis with all of the high posts and elbow touches that he's going to get in that Sacramento office. That, you know, Murray being a solid cutter, somebody that can come off of handoffs and, like you said, take one or two bounces and either muscle his way into the lane or just very controllably go to a spin move, some sort of a step back jumper from like 12 to 15 feet. He's got a lot of different things in that regard. Uh, I'm, I'm a big, big, big fan. The Kings schedule to start the year is going to throw Keegan Murray and the Kings, frankly, just straight into the fire. They had Portland without Keegan Murray to start at home. Then they had the Clippers. Now they have Golden State tonight. This game starts, I think, in like 15 minutes. Um, Then they have Memphis at home, then Miami at home. They get a reprieve against Charlotte, although Charlotte, you know, seems to be playing hard right now, at least. Two and one, baby. Yeah. Uh, then they have to go to Miami, to Orlando, to Golden State. They play Cleveland. Then they play the Lakers, Golden State, Brooklyn. I mean, it's just a loaded schedule to start the year. And look, we're kind of in like the era of the NBA where it feels like there are very few off games, right? There are very few off days, like at least right now, while everyone seems to be competing in relative terms, uh, where even like the Spurs can catch the Sixers uh, in a game where Joel Embiid, you know, still doesn't look totally right. And maybe we'll talk about that at the end. But like, it's really, really difficult to find a spot where it's just a win, Right. Like where you feel like, okay, this is just going to be a win. The good news for the Kings is that they obviously played LA last night and they play Golden State tonight. This is the only back to back in that stretch. So Mm. maybe they can catch like a couple of other teams, you know, sleeping a little bit. They're a younger roster that is really going to push the tempo and run with De'Aaron Fox. And, you know, they're going to make it tough on you offensively with that two man game with Fox and Sabonis. So, Maybe they can catch a team, but that schedule is just miserable to start. And, you know, the Kings, where they do get lucky is you look a little bit later in the year, you know, kind of in that like midpoint of the year, you do kind of think there's a chance that they could get some wins later on. Um, But they're just going to have to not lose confidence and kind of fight through it, I think, early on. Yeah, the the last thing on the Kings for me, De'Aaron Fox is pulling from three a lot more and a lot more confidently than I remember him doing. And I think that that's only going to serve the entire offense really well. Obviously, it's too early in the season for the law of averages to kind of bear out what type of shooter he's going to be. 
but really positive for his development. His form looks really good. He's shooting it confidently. Teams, if they can't go under those ball screens, it's going to be game over for you know depend, defending the paint against Sacramento. Yeah. No, I think that's totally right. Uh, let, let's go to Jaden Ivey now. Oh, uh, we, Jaden has been just incredibly fun at this point. Um, he's averaging 18 points, five rebounds, six assists. He's turning it over. Let's be clear about that. The, the turnovers are definitely an issue in that backcourt in general, uh, even though Cade has just been much steadier even than he was last year continues to you know just kind of get caught occasionally as rookies or second year players do right um but it's just the explosiveness Jaden's explosiveness just immediately jumps off the page right as we expected it to right that intersection of power and quickness uh and twitch it's just unlike anything but very few other players in the NBA he is elite at one thing. And when I say elite, I'm not talking about a collection of, you know, 20 guys in the NBA to to list off here. I'm talking like three or four, just in terms of his ability to go from a standstill straight up on the perimeter, holding the basketball or dribbling it in place to an all out assault on the rim and getting two feet in the lane. It's absurd what he's able to do in terms of going from zero to 60 and the residual effects of that on a defense require every help defender to be a little bit more in tune. And, and the most impressive thing to me for Ivy, obviously he has this natural ability. We saw it at Purdue with a couple rim-rocking dunks, and we knew this was you know, the type of first step he had in his arsenal. But he is accurately and really quickly throwing passes to the weak side when defenses are camping out under the lane and understanding, oh, shit, we have to be here to take away those Jaden Ivey drives before he even gets going. And he's found Bogdanovich on a couple corner threes. He's doing a nice job of getting there. Obviously, when you play at a higher speed than everybody else, you're going to have some turnovers that come with it. You have less time, less opportunity to, you know, there's just a smaller margin for error when it comes to making those accurate plays and reads. But I'm so encouraged by what we're seeing with him and how Detroit is just giving him the reins a little bit to be him. They're not trying to turn him into this off-ball player so that Cade does everything. They're saying, when you're in, let's operate through you. And he's a walking paint touch. To me, that's still the most valuable thing to have on offense is a way and a a very reliable source of getting the ball towards the basket without having to work for it too hard. And that's what Ivy can do. Well, and I like the way that they're having Cade and him kind of share the offense a little bit where it's like, if it's early in the offensive piece, they're going to try and get Jaden the ball quickly. They're trying to get him the ball on the move a little bit more often, which is really, really valuable given Smart. his explosiveness. Um, he just gets downhill in those situations before anyone can stop him. Uh, the shooting is something that, you know, I don't know how long this is going to hold up, right? But so far, he's made 46% of his threes. Uh, He probably is not a 46% three-point shooter. Let's be real about that. But if he's a 35% three-point shooter, taking most of his shots off the catch or taking most of them when he's like kind of teams go way under a dribble handoff or a ball screen and he's able to just kind of flatten out a little bit, 
it's really going to be helpful. Like if he can get set into that jumper, it's going to be super, super helpful. His dribble handoffs, as I mentioned with Cole Huff on the last podcast, um, dribble handoffs with Isaiah Stewart have been just godsends yep. for the Pistons th- thus far. If you get him the ball on the move, it's just really hard to stop him. And you can just immediately see the pathway where if the jumper is real and teams can't go underneath his dribble handoffs or can't go underneath his ball screens to a regular extent, it's going to be so, so hard to stop him. It's going to be so hard to stop him. And this this is the kind of stuff why I thought he was the perfect complement for Cade Cunningham yeah. because the thing that Cade is is he's deliberate with the ball. He is a guy that plays at pace. You want a guy that can create these early offense transition plays uh, and get easy offense that way to play with Cade Cunningham. As long as you believe in Jaden's offense – or believe in the shooting as well. There's no reason that this isn't just an incredible backcourt combination. That's why I loved it in the draft and why I think that, you know, it was one of the things that I pointed out as one of my favorite fits, just because there's a real pathway to this being a very hard defense or a very hard problem for defenses to solve. And look, I, I think that a lot of times we equate shooting with off-ball value, and there's a really good reason for that, but it's not the only way to be valuable off-ball. And, and yeah. cutting is a huge one. I think Jaden Ivey has had a couple times where he knows how to play well off of Cade Cunningham and his unique you know, slow-mo type of game operating one-on-one and in the half court. But the threat of Ivey catching the ball on the move or a defender being slightly out of position when they reverse the ball to him on the opposite side of the floor, just with his blazing quickness, that's such a threat in itself. It's going to force him and the entire Pistons team to be guarded really differently. So I'm just, I mean, we've seen guys like Zion Williamson come off handoffs and be complete non-shooters that can still find their way to get into the lane as long as they know how to cut and move off ball and everybody else on their team knows how to find them in those situations. I don't think Jaden Ivey is anywhere close to that negative of a three-point threat that Zion is, no, nor is he a, a physical type of, you know, just run through your chest type of guy. But if he gets a half step on anybody else, he is getting to the basket. He's getting two feet in the lane. And generally speaking, I think he makes more positive decisions when he gets there than negative ones. Okay, let's go to the best rookie in the NBA this far. <laughs> um, it's Ben Matherin. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I don't know if he's going to be the best rookie by the end of the year, but he's the best rookie right now. It's the confidence. And the way that they play offensively, it, it's just tailor-made for him. He has been incredible as a driver, just a confident, uh, aggressive driver toward the basket in that very well-spaced Rick Carlisle offense. Um the shooting obviously has been real. He's scoring 24 points a game uh, and he's coming off the bench right now. Like they're going to start him eventually because they can't keep him out of the starting lineup. But goodness, Ben Matherin has just been everything that I thought he was. I ranked him at five uh, pre-draft. I absolutely love Ben. I-, I think he is a stud and I am just excited to watch him continue to develop because all of the tools are there. Like he is explosive. Some of the pull up threes he made last. Oh my goodness. Like, are we, are you kidding me? It's just, he is the confidence is endless. The skill is real. He can shoot it. He is an explosive athlete. It's just all there. Benedict Cumberbatch 
Matherin. He looks awesome. And it's the combination of physical athleticism for his finishing ability near the rim. Like he hangs in there a little bit longer than you think. He handles contact well. He plays pretty large. I know he's listed at about like six six, but he plays a little bit larger than that when he's attacking downhill. He he's thicker and stronger yeah. than what you think he is looking at him. He like he he carries his what is it? It's like 215 pounds, 200 and probably, you know, I, I guess maybe 215, 220. He yeah. carries it really, really well. Yep. And he, use, he uses angles and shoulders. He's got pretty flexible hips in that way so he can get downhill quickly. But it's the combination of that finishing ability with something that I call shooting awareness. We know he's a really good three-point shooter. You know, he's got that those cojones that I always say for the, the deep pull-up range yeah. and just the confidence to take those but he's really good off screens and moving around the perimeter. And the shooting awareness comes in for every time he catches the ball, he seems to make the right decision on the move, whether it's time to shoot because he's open and his man is behind him, whether it is to run through that pass and understand this is his time to curl to the basket and attack off of that closeout, or whether it's simply to, you know, keep moving and, and understand how to cycle through, let somebody else get that possession and keep going. He's going to be a high-level scorer at the NBA level. I think I want to see a little bit more from the playmaking side. We talked about it, I think, on the podcast when I was a guest on during last year's draft cycle. He got better as the season went on as a playmaker. But Arizona's offense is also very scripted because it's ball screen motion. It's pretty much the same type of read every time you're coming off. And the NBA doesn't necessarily allow you to have that consistency with what you're reading. So – I want to see that next step from Matherin. That's not to critique his game and where it's at now, but because he's already proven so good in all of these areas offensively, I'm ready to fast track the playmaking and say, can we turn this guy into a legitimate top type of option on offense? I, I just want to note the Pacers are incredibly fun to watch. Oh, yeah. they're they're a mess. Like they they have no chance defensively right now. Uh, like I, I was talking to a friend. And, you know, I, I think there's a non-zero chance that, like, this team might be one of the worst defensive teams we've seen. Yeah. They're, they're, they're going to be rough this year. Uh, but they're really fun. They play really fun games. They play up-tempo. Ty, uh, Tyrese Halliburton looks He's phenomenal. Great. He's great. Looks absolutely great. He's starting to make pull-up threes at a high level. Uh, that game last night, I mean, goodness. Like he was just trying to get a mismatch whenever whenever he could, and it was just step back three, bam. Like Tyrese is a stud. Ben is a stud. They have like their point guard and a wing to build around of the future. Uh, they have a wing in Chris Duarte that at least makes sense as a useful player next to them. I don't think he's a star, but I think he's someone that will at least be a rotation player uh, with maybe starter upside if he continues to grow. Uh, their bigs are just kind of rough. Yeah. Um, Jalen Smith had a good game last night, but uh, I'm not really a fan based off of what I've seen. Uh, Isaiah Jackson blocks shots, but like the, you know, possession by possession defensive uh, awareness isn't always there. Um, You know, Terry Taylor works his ass off. He's just small, right? Right. As like a four, you know, pick and roll four man basically. Limited, yeah. Yeah, like Goga Patadze has actually been like the big that I've liked the most (laughs) um, in that front court, which is kind of crazy. Um, you know, I, I've, yeah. I, I really enjoy these Pacers games. 
they've played the worst schedule, I think, in the NBA so far because they've played the Wizards, they've played San Antonio, and they've played Detroit. Uh, I watched the San Antonio and Detroit games, and, I mean, the, this team is going to give up like 125 a night, it feels like, and they're going to score probably 120, and it's going to be really fun. Yeah. The, the last thing for me on the Pacers, I don't think there are many teams that are – closer to the bottom of the NBA, maybe vying for the top of this 2023 NBA draft, that would be simultaneously a good fit for either Victor Wembanyama or Scoot Henderson. And I think Indiana has a sneaky chance to be that. Where as long as they're in the top two, they're going to be fine because Halliburton is big enough to maybe guard the two in some stretches. You know, the, the high IQ play that he has, his shooting ability off ball would allow him to coexist with a guy like Scoot. And obviously you get Victor Wembanyama in there. That solves a lot of the defensive issues that we're seeing while also knowing Halliburton and Matherin can play off of him on the offensive end of the floor. So uh, I just, one thing that's standing out to me about Indiana and watching them play is you inject one of those two guys in here. This is instantly probably my favorite team for the future. Yeah. Uh, Michael Zordan noted hack a purtle was crazy. Uh, We're going to talk about the Spurs in a minute here. uh, (laughs) Kind of at the end of this thing. But Hackapurtle was not an enjoyable watch. I will no, say that no. Rick, Rick Carlisle going to Hackapurtle was a choice uh, yeah. that I would prefer nobody does again. <laughs> uh, let's go to Jabari Smith. You know, I think he hasn't been bad necessarily. He just hasn't shot it well. And it, it looks like it might be a minute for him physically yes. uh, in that first game against John Collins. Like John Collins just kind of moved him around wherever he wanted. Um, And then in the second game, I think he shot like three of 14 from the field. I'm not worried about the shooting. Like that's going to come around. He's going to knock down shots at a high level. And the the thing for the Rockets is it feels like they haven't really created easy shots for him yet. Um, A lot of what Kevin Porter is really good at as a ball screen player is finding the roller particularly. Um, He's not terrible at kickouts, but he's much better at creating shots for the roller than he is at looking outward. Um, Jalen Green is still obviously developing as a passer. Their backup point guard situation, a lot of times, it ends up being like Jalen staying in the game and kind of running the show a little bit. Um, They haven't created easy looks for Jabari yet, and that's where it's going to be that that's where things need to happen for him a little bit more organically and where you'll see the efficiency rise. I think once he starts getting more and more open threes, because they'll come eventually. It's just that I don't think that this rockets backcourt is necessarily tailor made to create him the open shots. The good thing about Jabari is that, he has been very aggressive in hunting his own shot, which is something like, for instance, people kind of melted down about in the summer league, a uh, couple first couple of games, right. Yep. Where he was just like kind of a bystander. A lot of the time, it's clear that they've empowered him to go and try and chase his own shot, which is really, really valuable. Um, he's going to be better for having experienced this. It's just that like, you know, if he ends up shooting 41% from the field this year, like don't be, surprised you know what i mean like it it might happen um and he's been in moments where he hasn't been out strengthed and like just brought down on the block he's been active and very aware defensively it's just he's a rookie it's gonna take time i'm glad 
Conal in the comments on YouTube brings up the Rockets' best on-ball creator has been, you know, Bruno Fernando yeah. and Usman Garuba. Fernando has particularly been very valuable as a playmaker and passer out of like, you know, short roll actions yep. or out of the high post and making things happen that way. Um, th- that he has certainly been their best kickout passer for sure so far this year. And, yep. and you know, the, the Rockets are rebuilding. It's, going to take time for this all to work you know Albert and Shangun has had you know moments of good and you know a lot of moments in my opinion of not being awesome even though the counting numbers look really good right um you know I, I don't really blame the Rockets for even though like I know they had what like 23 and 9 in their second game I don't really blame the Rockets for not starting him and plus like it's good to have Shangun with the second unit I yes. think because the second unit needs someone that can create shots so, uh, yeah, it's a weird – the Rockets are in a weird spot, but they're in a spot with a lot of interesting talent that they're going to work through throughout the year. They're just super young, Sam. That's the biggest thing to me. Like, Yeah, and, give, and give we're going to talk about that again in like a later segment when we get to Tank Watch, but the youth of the Rockets really, really stands out. It does. Like there, there are some positive moments and then they just get overshadowed by their lack of physicality to make things happen in Jabari Smith's case, the lack of cohesive, just defensive, natural instincts that they have on the floor. They need guys like Bruno Fernando who've been around the block a couple times. And believe me, he's not some wily veteran that's, you know, gone ring chasing and played 25 minutes a game on championship teams. He just happens to be the oldest kind of most veteran big man that they have to be able to plug in there and give them some semblance of a chance on defense and some short role playmaking on offense. Yeah. And like, you know, um, Conal in the YouTube comments brought up Garuba as well. Um, You know, Fernando didn't play in their game against the Bucks. Garuba played 25 minutes and even think about it this way. Like Usman Garuba has probably played more high leverage, high, you know, importance basketball having played for the Spanish national team, having played multiple years in Euro league than most, if not all of the Rockets have like, that's the crazy thing, right? Like it's even though the Rockets have played, you know, someone like Kevin Porter jr has played a lot of NBA games. Very few of those games have been like high importance games where winning is, you know, essential, Usman Garuba has weirdly played a lot of those games. So like even him, you know, for example, is someone that probably has a little bit more high leverage experience than most of the Rockets right now. Yeah, They're just, they're super young and it's going to be this way the entire year. We want to be able to look at their first third of the season and their last third of the season and make sure that they've gotten a hell of a lot better individually and collectively over that time. Their defensive identity has to be able to come into focus We've got to find ways to get Jabari Smith open catch and shoot looks because he's just not physically strong enough nor talented enough of a driver with the ball in his hands to get to the rim to get all those efficient looks. Like he may be able to be given the green light for those mid-range pull-ups, those isolations, those plays that allow him to get his jump shot, but he's not going to be efficient in that type of role. He needs to be gift-wrapped a bunch of catch and shoot looks. I believe they have the roster that can do it long-term but they don't have enough guys who are ready to do it right now. Yeah. And look, I, I just watched the Giannis highlights from the game against Houston, um, you know, probably a couple hours before this podcast. Um, I, I didn't watch the game against Milwaukee, but I just saw <laughs> Giannis just blow through those guys. Yeah. 
was ridiculous. Um, what a what a performance from Giannis. He went 17 of 21, had 44 points. 46. I mean, it's a learning experience for Jabari Smith that he got to see that, but it's it's just you know whenever there are strength moments for him, it's going to look not phenomenal. Well, um, and it's. it's- yeah. It's it's your welcome to the NBA moment for a lot of these guys. Like, hey, you just had this with Giannis. Now, three days later, you hop on a plane and you play Kawhi Leonard and Paul George with the Clippers. Congratulations. Yeah. Like, they're this is going to be a nightly occurrence for them. And they've got to figure out a way to be not, not necessarily more competitive through it, but just figure out what who is going to be that defensive stopper, who's going to take on that role. And how can Jabari be effective against different types of players? Which one is he best suited to guard in isolation? Yeah, and, and with the Rockets as well, I do want to bring up Tari Eason very quickly. Um, as we kind of, we're going to kind of start moving into the other guys here yeah. in the rookie class. Um, very active in transition. He's exactly who we thought he was, just physically ready to play in the NBA from day one. Uh, makes an impact just in terms of his length and strength, but. Uh, it's going to take some time in the half court. I think it's, it's definitely going to yeah. take some time. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he's been aggressive and he's like a perfect guy for this Houston team to keep developing. Uh, there are times where I think he has looked just as good as Jabari, if not better than Jabari, just cause he's a little bit stronger, but even so, like we saw, it was another one where John Collins in the first game was able to take him on the block even and kind of push through him. So you know, once Tari gets to be 24, that's never going to happen because Tari is going to just grow into being an absolute like man child, I think, and just be so physically strong that it's going to be hard to deal with him even. But yeah, I, I think that, you know, the Rockets are in a very real developmental place. They really need Jay Sean Tate back. And I think it would probably help them to even get Ty Ty Washington back yeah. where like Ty Ty can maybe eat up some of these like Dacian Knicks, Josh Christopher yeah. minutes that are just, they're not good. Like they're, they're not, they're, they're not strong minutes. I, I would say is the fair way to put it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at their, their kind of box score right now from the Bucks game. I think the only player who logged minutes that isn't on their rookie contract or in their first four years of the league was Boban who played four minutes in that game. So, I mean, just, yeah. So, so, so young. It, like, yeah. we got to give them time. Yeah. Uh, okay, let, let's go to Shaden Sharp now. Uh, Portland Trailblazers. I just love the way that the Blazers are using Shaden yes. Sharp. They're making it as easy as humanly possible for him. Uh, they It seems like they don't even want him to dribble, which is great. <laughs> like, they just want him to stay in the corner. They want him to knock down shots. They want him to run off with some actions from time to time. And they want him to cut back door and they want him to use his athleticism defensively, and they want him to use his athleticism on the glass. It is so simple, and I love it. It's exactly what he needs to be able to play a role in the NBA from day one, and these are invaluable reps that he's going to be able to continue to get throughout the course of the start of his career. They're huge, and they're not just huge because he's one of the more unseasoned guys in the league, but they're huge for the Blazers because this is a team that doesn't typically have that athletic type of wing that they can count on. And it's nice to know when you get to January and February, closer to that trade deadline, if the Blazers are still competing and and desiring for a a playoff push, 
Can we count on a guy like Shaden Sharp to play that role for us in a small dose off the bench in the playoffs? Or do we need to go for a veteran? And look, rookies in the playoffs, they rarely contribute much that's very meaningful. But at least if you know you can keep it simple and he can succeed in that simplicity, you're going to have something to rely on. I think the Blazers have enough smart, high IQ veterans to be able to to maximize that and make sure they don't over leverage Shaden or put him in a position that he's going to be uncomfortable. That's where having, you know, Dame at the point running the entire show on the offensive end is going to allow him to get those easy shots. That's where having Justice Winslow, Jeremy Grant as other type of wing forwards that can really uh, you know, play above their weight class defensively can help insulate Sharp from some mismatch situations. And, and their, their small ball kind of closing lineup with Winslow at the five, it's been super fun and super effective. I just, uh, I like what I've seen from Portland and, you know, both on the defensive end of the floor, what they've brought and what it means for Shaden Sharp and his long-term development. Just a really, really encouraging start. Forget the wins and losses that they're 3-0. and They're doing a lot of right things up there. Well, and <laughs> A, it's been so great to see Damian Lillard yes. just absolutely obliterate people. There, there are a few things I enjoy more than watching Damian Lillard just absolutely annihilate the yeah. NBA. Um, just the most fun dude to watch because there are no greater competitors and there is nothing quite like watching him just absolutely make back-breaking three after back-breaking three when he's on a hot streak and then like blow by someone because they have to play super tight on him because he just made three straight back-breaking threes and you have to make decisions on how you're going to guard him. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Um, The second thing is you mentioned what the Blazers are doing um, defensively and how their infrastructure looks pretty good. I like... I'm a little bit worried about Yusuf Nurkic oh, for um, sure. at this yeah. point. I don't think he has looked particularly good at this point in the year. Um, but in the first game, I thought it was really interesting that they closed with Justice Winslow yep. essentially as like a small ball five yep. that is very creative in terms of like lineup construction. They're just going to switch everything. They're going to make you guard Dame in space. They're going to make you guard a lot of really difficult things. Um, yeah, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. Winslow put the clamps on Sabonis late in that game, like a stronger, yeah. more physical type of, you know, guy who loves to play in the post like Sabonis just could not get any traction on Winslow. I don't know how sustainable this is over the course of an 82-game season. They've got to be able to solve, you know, the first 44 minutes a game and not just the final four with a closing small ball lineup like that. And, you know, figuring out what to do with Nurkic is going to be a huge portion of that. But uh, it's it's allowing them to win and stay in tight games down the stretch. So if Lillard can go off, they're going to have a shot against anybody. Yeah. Uh, okay. What rookie do you want to go to next? Has there been anyone that like kind of jumped off the board for you? I just want to give a quick mention to Jalen Duran in Detroit. Yeah. Um, you know, awesome double double on opening night, and then you can see the the learning curve that he's going to have when he plays against some really good bigs or teams that just know how to attack you on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, so it's going to be an up and down type of season for him, where he'll commit some dumb fouls, he'll be out of position once or twice on the, on the weak side rotating, but I love his rebounding activity and emphasis on that end of the floor. 
I think he's going to be switchable, Sam. Like, I, I really do think that he's going to be able to guard at least functionally enough in isolation situations on the perimeter that his, his lateral quickness and his movement is impressive to me. He's the youngest guy in the NBA, and he looks strong as hell and not physically out of place out there. There's a long learning curve for, for big men to be consistent on a night-in, night-out basis defensively. But I, I do think that he's at least shown he probably should have gotten drafted a little bit higher than he was. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, like like should have gone ahead of Johnny Davis. I think that's yeah. clear. Um, but I, I, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not quite hmm. sure that uh, I – I'm like all in. I've loved what I've seen from Jalen Duran so far. Like the fact that he's the youngest player in the NBA and has been able to play real minutes as a backup for Detroit. Detroit has kept it very simple. Yes. Go rebound, go rim run and try and like not get destroyed defensively. Basically Mm -hmm. is the entire goal. It's limited thus far and limited in the way that we kind of have thought that it would be limited with Jalen Duran. Right, he, he just looks like he belongs, like physically in his movement patterns. Yes, yeah, yeah. He looks like he belongs. That that's the absolutely critical thing. Um, you know, in that Pacers game last night, it, it was just a really good example of the fact that he's just kind of not ready to play defense in space yet, and that's okay. Like, it's not the worst thing in the world that a guy who's freaking 18 years old is trying to play like defense in the NBA in space against a team that like can really, really space you out for as bad as I think they are defensively. Um, they are very dangerous offensively. Um, you know, but look all positive, like for Jalen Duran that he's able to even get those reps right now. Right. Um, all very, very positive that he's able to do these things. And like, look, um, yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see where it goes for Jalen Duran. Yeah, yeah. I guess is what I would say. He has he's doing everything he can to stay in the rotation once Marvin Bagley like ever gets healthy uh, at some point. One more rookie I would want to give a quick nod to is Christian Brown for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, love him, and th- yeah. this is a guy that you and I both loved. We yeah. both thought he was going to be able to get minutes early. It- it's the connective tissue type of feel to his game that there's very little that he forces on either end of the floor. He can get into guys shit and move his feet laterally while pressuring the basketball. That's a huge thing when you're a little bit undersized of a wing is being able to provide pressure in that regard. Offensively, he doesn't take bad shots. He knocks down his catch and shoots. He's a solid guy at attacking closeouts and knows when to do it. And his game just pops around so many veterans in Denver. That's a really shrewd pickup for a team whose second unit is going to be kind of the story of their regular season, right? We know what we're going to get when Jokic is on the floor. Are they going to be able to score enough, produce enough, get stops when they go deep into their bench to win enough regular season games to take home court throughout that the postseason? And Brown being a really solid piece just moves their, that needle in the right direction for them to, to be so. Okay, so I want to talk real briefly. Actually, no, I'll, I'll save this guy for the tank watch segment. But um, two other guys that I think we should note, Jake LaRavia. Uh, everyone jumped off the Jake LaRavia you know, bandwagon whenever he struggled in summer league, when that's just like the last circumstance where you would expect mm-hmm. someone like Jake LaRavia to succeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Laravia has immediately been able to step in through the first three games for the Grizzlies, be a very consistent catch and shoot guy who does not get destroyed defensively, just keeps it very simple against Houston. I thought he was outstanding, uh, made three or four threes in that game, was aggressive on the glass and did really, really well. Uh, against Dallas, I thought that some of the issues he might have in space defensively stood out a little bit more, but much more positive than negative for Jake Laravia so far. Looks like a very real, um, you know, bench player right now for Memphis. And Memphis, you know, I always just gush over their organizational development, their identification of talent and and everything that they do. But when they get young guys, they play them. They give them the opportunity to not just get minutes on the floor, but play in a role that they know is going to suit them long-term. And like we talked about with Shaden Sharp, not overburden them from day one. It's why LaRavia is able to look a lot better now with really good, smart players on the floor than he did in summer league. Yeah. No, I think that's totally right. The second guy is Walker Kessler. The Utah Jazz have probably been the team that has – I don't know, I guess surprised people most throughout the course of the start of the year. I mean, they're up 10 on uh, New Orleans right now. I haven't watched any of that game. Um, But, you know, just looking through, Walker Kessler has played 15 minutes and has eight rebounds already. Um, Walker Kessler is averaging nine points, eight rebounds in 20 minutes per game, and he's just ready to go as a rim protector from the jump. This is exactly what we thought Walker Kessler was. He's a terrific drop coverage defender. He was the best shot blocker in college basketball last season, Um, arguably one of the best shot blockers we've seen enter uh, the NBA draft statistically based on college performance. in the last, I think, 15 years, like his, his block rate numbers are absolutely staggering at Auburn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's just, can he ever take that next jump to being anything more than a drop coverage defender who can play uh, in space in the playoffs or who can play in space in like real minutes that matter? We haven't seen any of that yet, but he looks like a rotation player, which where, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves originally took him and then he was moved to the Utah Jazz in the Rudy Gobert trade. Where that team took him, uh, it's production commensurate with that spot. And he, like, hasn't missed a shot yet either. I know he he has, but he's shooting, like, 80-something percent from the field in a couple of games keeps because he keeps it simple. That's exactly right. He, he just finishes off of the roll. It, it's so funny to hear you talk about him being – really good drop coverage big, but we don't know how he guards in space. And is that going to catch up to him in certain lineups that he plays against? Didn't the Utah Jazz just get rid of a guy who really struggled to fit in that type of mold? Like, yeah. kind of groundhog day in some regard. Now, he's nowhere near Rudy Gobert. Please do not take that as something that I'm saying here about Walker Kessler. But those questions are just still going to exist. I think he's been a perfectly good role player thus far. By the way, Tip of the cap to Will Hardy, keeping everything simple for for his team as well. A lot of veterans that are just going to go out there and try to score, spread the floor, shoot a lot of threes, like what we're seeing from Utah. Yeah, the the Laurie Markinen uh, breakout bonanza has been very fun yes. so far. Uh, any other rookies? Uh, look, Andrew Nemhard has gotten a lot of minutes so far. Um, you know, Christian Coloco is okay. you know yeah. a backup for the Toronto Raptors right now. Getting in fights any- already. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else that you really, really feel like you want to kind of note? I I haven't watched the Bulls at all yet. They're one of my blind spots so far this year, so I haven't seen if Dale and Terry is playing at all. 
Yeah, no, nobody else really jumping out to me again. I know we mentioned Memphis with Jake Laravia, like David Roddy's getting a little bit of run in their second units as well, yeah. and, and they're they're trying to, to get him some minutes early on. I mean, this is literally the point in the year where it's more so about who's playing and been able to crack their rotation right out of training yeah. camp as opposed to who's really showing us a, a ton of great things. We, we hit all those guys early on in the stretch. Now it's just you know who, who's actually cracked the rotation out of the gates. All right, folks, it's time. New segment on the Game Theory Podcast, Tank Watch 2023. I texted a friend and asked if it would be too mean to name a tank commander of the week uh, every week, as in the player that helps his team tank most uh, this season. I think it probably is, but we can find a way to talk about tanking teams a little bit more fun uh, and a little bit more enjoyably, maybe, by doing Tank Watch 2023. Uh, the team I want to highlight is the San Antonio Spurs. Ooh. As we were talking about the Spurs in the preseason, I thought they were going to be the worst team in the league. And it was based on the idea that they just didn't have any star power whatsoever. And I thought that their depth would really catch up with them. And that might end up being the case, right? Like a lack of depth is going to be a real concern, especially if they move guys like Doug McDermott and Josh Richardson. But I think the thing that I really drastically underrated with the Spurs is that the guys that are in their rotation and starting lineup, they're not first and second year guys. They're third and fourth year guys. Like Trey Jones is in his third year. Um. Devin Vassell is in his third year. Third year. Keldon yep. Johnson is in his fourth year. Devin Vassell and Keldon Johnson already look like a genuine starting wing combination in the yep. NBA. Jakob Pertl, I believe, is in his seventh year at this point and is ready to play. Like He's ready to actually make an impact like on a good team, in my yep. opinion. But if I was the Spurs, I would not move him because he's actually really good. Like he is, he can be their starting center of the future. In my opinion, he's still young enough to be, uh, to have that moniker in my opinion. So the fact that there are guys that are in their starting unit are in their third and fourth. And in this case, seventh year outside of Jeremy Sohan, who I'll get to in a minute. Um, I think that I probably underrated that a little bit coming into the year that their guys have experience they have that like kind of adjustment already made and they're a little bit more cohesive and a little bit more polished, especially with Greg Popovich as their coach than what maybe I expected them to be coming into the year. This is definitely a better team than Houston. Like they, yeah. they, they are better than Houston. Like no yeah. questions asked. Yeah. Yeah. Houston, Indiana, like Detroit to some extent, maybe Orlando, like all teams that are just younger in that regard. I think you hit the nail on the head there with, Vassell and Keldon and, you know, Trey a little bit different because I don't think he's received a ton of NBA minutes coming into this season. He was a little bit more of their, you know, third string point guard G league type he, of he got some minutes while. late in the year last year though, where like he got a chance to like really develop and that's part of his game. He's just so smart and polished yes. and you know, he is who he is as a player. Um, yeah. I, I, he actually looks like a very real, um, great. like, Maybe not quite starting NBA point guard, but he is no question going to be like a high leverage backup at the very least in the NBA. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, the the Spurs are better than what I expected. And I think that a lot of what they're doing is pretty sustainable. Um, 
just because Jakob Pertl does all of the little things and is a great, great, great defender. Mm-hmm. Devin Vassell and Kelton Johnson are genuinely good players. Um, Trey Jones, I think, is a legit, like, you know, maybe top 40 point guard in the NBA, let's say, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, having those guys, I think, gives them, plus Josh Richardson, Doug McDermott, you know, even someone like Gorgie Jang, they can come in off the bench and just give you like 10 minutes of physical basketball. They might not be like, unless they make some real moves in tank watch 2023, they might not quite be uh, at the level of tanking them is what we thought coming into the year. Part of the reason for that, Sam, is that Devin Vassell seems to be taking the leap that if there's one guy who needs to be their late clock creator on the perimeter, that was the biggest question we had coming into the season. DeJounte Murray is gone. Who's going to be able to create their own shot or create an easy shot for others? And I think that Trey Jones is the create the shot for others guy. I think Devin Vassell is a create shot for himself guy. He looks really confident and smooth getting to the mid range and then using a little bit more of a hesitation to get to the rim. And I think back to his days at Florida state, he did have the pull up jumper, but he wasn't consistently getting to the rim off the bounce. He was settling for a lot of those jump shots. Uh, he looks a lot better, more confident, more fluid with the ball in his hands at the offensive end, while also being a solid catch-and-shoot guy. I was so high on Devin Vassell pre-draft because he's yeah. essentially 3 and D plus. He's a guy that can be a really good off-ball offensive player, a high-level defender, and there's that plus upside to be able to do something with the ball in his hands. He's finally actualized that, and it looks like it's to an extent that even I didn't predict that he would get to. Uh, really, really thrilled with with Vassell and his development. I think that you know, trading DeJounte Murray into having a low leverage situation, low pressure situation, I should say, for him to be able to develop in this regard is just going to be huge for him long term. I'm so happy for him. So as we make up this segment on the fly on some level, <laughs> uh, I guess that the Spurs would be trending down in Tank Watch 2023. Because they might be a little bit too good to tank at the top of the league, uh, where a team like Houston will be uh, trending very high upward, it seems like, until they get some of their older guys back. Is there a team that you've noticed that's trending up in Tank Watch 2023? Uh, You know, it's just, it's hard not to go with my dear Charlotte Hornets on this one. It's just, it's really hard. They're two and one. They're two and one. They're okay. Have you looked at their backcourt? Yeah, it's not. It's, it's not. It's not what you'd expect there from an NBA roster. Um, Sh- shout out, shout out, Dennis Smith though. He's <laughs> he's been good so far. Like he's actually been like genuinely an NBA point guard, um, yep. which is nice. Yeah. Let, let me ask you something on the Spurs real quickly here, Sam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does Jakob Pertl's lack of free throw shooting ability and therefore the. Um, the challenges that would come with playing him late game, therefore diminish his trade value on the open market. I think it's something the teams that could, that could look to acquire Jakob Pertl really have to consider. Um, They also have to consider the fact that he's an unrestricted free agent at the end of the year and would be no guarantee. Look, I think Jakob Pertl is probably like a top 15 starting center in the NBA, given the fact that he is an incredible screen setter. He has improved his touch around the basket now. Like he's averaging 16 and nine this year or 16 and 10. It looks like his passing has really improved. 
Like he, I think he is a top half of the league starting center, to be honest. But a team that's acquiring him really has to consider the fact that like the hack of Pirtle is going to be a thing. Um, if he can be a 61% free throw shooter, like he's been thus far, he'll hurt, he'll hurt you. If you do that, you can't really hack him in that way. Uh, so it's really important. I think for his potential trade value and for the Spurs moving forward, if they decide to keep him, uh, for him to continue to trend that way. Um, if he can make those shots and, and again, like I think his touch around the basket, like actually looks like it's improved. He's hit some hook shots. He's hit some little mini like jump hooks around the basket. It's not just finishing right at the rim anymore. I, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't move him like that. That's my hot take. Like if I was the Spurs, I would, I think that, you know, John Hollinger, I brought up the idea to him, like, could the Spurs renegotiate and extend Jakob Pertl? Apparently, he seems to think that they can't, and I'm sure John is right, so I shouldn't say seems. Uh, John told me they can't because he's on a three-year deal as opposed to a four-year deal, and this is another example of the NBA's collective bargaining agreement just being a disaster when it comes to extensions, and it's something that the league desperately has to clean up in its next collective bargaining agreement. Teams should be able to extend players um, without as many restrictions as what they currently have right now. Um, So they can't use their cap space to renegotiate and extend him. But I I would be trying to come to some sort of like preemptive agreement on a deal. If I was them like, look this summer, we really want to keep you. We really want to pay you. We have no issues giving you like a four year, $70 million contract, $72 million deal. Like just know that like that's coming and maybe try and, you know, do something along those lines. Um, They have all the cap space in the world. They can do that obviously, but yeah, no, I, I really quite like Jakob Pertl. And he, he, the other thing with him is he is exceptional for a developing backcourt and yes. wing combination because of his screen setting and because of his IQ as a screen setter and roller. Uh, he creates so much space for Trey Jones. He creates space for Devin Vassell when he takes ball screens. Like these reps that they're getting with someone who is as polished and effective and unselfish yep. as Jakob Pertl is. It's the perfect center, especially given the way he anchors them defensively. He's the perfect center to have for a developmental team, I think. I agree. There's a lot of like Steven Adams's effect on John Morant going on here with the San yeah. Antonio team. Just all of the little things, all of the dirty stuff that he's willing to do, he does it. Uh, you know, if you're asking about the Tank trending up or down through only three games. Obviously, the huge road win for them uh, over Philadelphia. It's a weird, weird type of game, but they were able to yeah. come away w- with that one. Um, you know, a lot of it's going to depend on Pirtle and if he's around long term. If they're trying to cash out on him as an asset, I think that they're going to be th- so thin in their front court of defensive rim protectors, of veterans that do all these little things we're talking about that the late season push back to the bottom can still happen from the Spurs, regardless of what happens for the first three, three and a half months of the year. But if he sticks around, he he probably makes them too good to fall beneath the guys like Houston and Indiana and Detroit in that regard. Yeah. Most of the tank watch, you know, right now is trending upward or trending Mm -hmm. downward in terms of the tank watch. Uh, You know, Charlotte has won two games. Uh, you know, the Spurs have won a couple of games. The Jazz are about to go to three and oh, right? Like 
Tank watch right now is it's quiet, but it's going to heat up. The only team I think that's trending upward in terms of tank watch is Houston because yeah. Houston looks like they're going to be there at the end. Houston looks like it's going to be in the Wemby sweepstakes at the end, baby. So young. They're so, so, so young. Um, I just, yeah, I mean, I, I like San Antonio. I, I like what we've seen from them. Want to see more from Sohan. Obviously, you know, the, the Pirtle, hack of Pirtle, like 21 free throw attempts in a game. It's just, woof. There, there's a lot to it there, but uh, they're they're better than advertised. Yeah, uh, that's all I've got for you this week, Spence. You told me you watched a movie. I'm excited to talk about it. Come on, I, I did my homework. I watched a movie. I think it's a pretty uh, renowned movie, but I, obviously, as a guy who doesn't consider himself a movie buff, I'm going to defer to you to tell me how good this one really is in those regards. I watched Tenet this weekend, Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah. I like Tenet. I, I, it's a very polarizing movie. Um, the sound design, I think, is actually just not very good Agreed. in it. Yeah. But from a technical standpoint, I actually really like all of the plot machinations. I know people think it's like confusing and difficult to follow. The second time that you see it, it's actually really not that bad. Um, I had a great time with Tenet. I think John David Washington is like an action star that I need to continue to watch in movies. Um, I will watch him in action movies for like that. That's what he should be focusing on being like athletic Denzel Washington in the equalizer, right? (laughs) Be that guy. Um, By the way, the equalizer movies fucking rule. I'm glad that there's going to be another one. Like go watch like Denzel's equalizer movies and be that except be like the young athletic version of that. Could you do Denzel Washington in these equalizer movies used to be like an operative. Could you do equalizer prequels with John David Washington, where he's young Denzel being super athletic, just running around. Like this is a guy that is a USC and he looks like a movie athlete. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't know, man, I'm in. I I think that, I think that Tenet, showcased like the upside of what his potential could be as an action star. And I need the, it in my life. The, the possibilities are endless in that regard. Uh, but yeah, I thought it was, you know, Tenet was a very typical Christopher Nolan type of movie, you know, very long and drawn out. You've got to pay really close attention to keep up. It's a lot about the cinematography and the plot, as opposed to just the character development that goes on in it. You know, I had one, kind of complaint like i didn't understand why the i don't even want to call it a love interest but john david washington's kind of uh you know soft spot for the female lead in the movie i didn't really understand where yeah i didn't really know where that came from or how it developed based on the plot necessarily um but it certainly was a part of the driving force of the movie other than that i thought it was excellent um and I tend to like Christopher Nolan movies. Like The Prestige is my favorite movie of all time. So this was an easy sell for me. Yeah, no, I, I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan as well. I know that among film Twitter, he seems to have become a bit polarizing, but I'm all for fun, complicated, you know, movies. Yeah. Like I think Dunkirk is one of the best technical achievements of the last, you know, 15, 20 years in movies. So uh, as Eric Weiss puts in the comments, I, I see you, Eric. Uh, Reacher 2 coming soon. Reacher season 2 can't get here soon enough, baby. We're we're ready. We're ready for dumb action again. I, I love it. 
I, I, I might rewatch Reacher season one as soon as I get done with House of the Dragon tonight. Mm. Very cool. What did I watch? I watched The Stranger, which is a movie on Netflix. Um, I've only watched one movie this week, partially because of the Cricket World Cup. Um, the Stranger is with Joel Edgerton and Sean Harris. Sean Harris is the guy that's the bad guy in the fifth and sixth Mission Impossible movies. It is Sean Harris is an actor, is one of those guys where it's a performance that you could only envision Sean Harris giving. Like Joel Edgerton is also amazing in the movie. And I almost don't really want to say much about the movie. I want people to see it and go, it's a heavy subject matter, but it's really good. It's really well paced. Um, it's, you know, a drawn out thriller, um, you know, kind of crime movie, I guess is the way I would put it. And, you know, Joel Edgerton is amazing in it, but it's a performance I could see a lot of really good actors that are lead actors doing. The performance that Sean Harris gives is something that I think only Sean Harris could give and like make you feel the things that you feel about this actor and this character with him being kind of gross um, and like downtrodden. It, it's very strange. Um, it's a good movie. Uh, it's an Australian film. So, you know, obviously shout out to my Western Australian compatriots here in the country, but I would watch the stranger. It's a, like an hour and 40 minutes, but it's really, really good. I'll add that. To, I just got to start a list of all of these recommendations you give me here at the end of these podcasts. You don't I have just, time to do this shit. You have to go coach right. a high school basketball team. You're right, but I still need a list. Come on. <laughs> uh, Spins, tell the people where they can find your work. Yeah, follow me on YouTube at my name, Adam Spinella. The Twitter is at the box and one underscore. Uh, the Substack page is all linked from there, but we're in college basketball preview mode. Uh, tomorrow, first conference preview coming out from the Substack page. Excited for that. And I think we're only about, what, two weeks away from start of games and, and start of the season there. So exciting times. <laughs> Go to The Athletic. Keep me employed over there. Uh, I did top 20 positional rankings of guards, wings, and bigs for college basketball purposes, that is, uh, across the entire country last week. Those will be relevant for the entirety of the preseason until we see these people play, and then I will burn them with fire. Uh, <laughs> I have a mock draft coming this week. Little little secret for the people that listen to the podcast, uh, the, the literally like five figures worth of people that listen to the podcast. Um, you know, little secret, but it's coming this week. We're excited. We're going to talk about it next week on the podcast, probably, but keep it locked here. We will be, uh, back with more on Tuesday. Probably, uh, could be Wednesday, depending on, what my schedule uh, looks like and what my guest's schedule looks like. We will have news on the podcast later this week. It will be very, very fun. I have a fun announcement to uh, give to you guys, but until next time we will talk soon. Bye.